Trinity Church, it is so good to get to be here with you today. My name is Todd Arnett, lead pastor here at Trinity. And I just want to say again, a huge thank you for just the way that you have been continuing to give generously, continuing to be engaged with us on so many fronts online. You join us today, this weekend, as we continue in our series called A People Prepared. And if you have a Bible today or access to one, if you want to get that out, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're working our way through a very, very timely and applicable book. And you'll see that again today as we begin to look at God's Word and how it relates to our circumstances today. You'll note right below me right now is a QR code that would be a place that you can upload our notes for today, whether to your phone and then to print them or just keep them on your phone, but that's available to you as well. Our notes just help you track with us. If you're new to Trinity Church, I especially want to do a hearty hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. We count it an incredible privilege that you would spend time with us on the weekend, inviting us into your home and into your life. Now, weekly, what we've been doing during this series is just taking time for some yay God moments. And I want to tell you the yay God moment that I have for us today is all about you moms. We just really want to thank you on this Mother's Day weekend for the way that you love, for the way that you live, for the way that you serve, for the way that you give. And you uh, just do so much in our lives. And we are just so absolutely grateful for you. So our yay God is yay for you. We're grateful for you. Now, I know as we talk about Mother's Day, for many of us, there's a mix of emotion. My mom passed away five years ago. And as I'm considering her a lot this weekend, I think about my thoughts go to God, thank you so much for the godly influence and the love she had for me but man, I miss her. And there are some of you today that as we're celebrating this Mother's Day weekend, you're feeling the, the grit and the angst of that, the loss. And I just want to tell you, we care about you as well, and we get it. So we want to do this. We want to take a moment to thank God for our moms, maybe um, on all kinds of fronts. That could be a subject that's more difficult than it is exciting and, and grateful, but I just want to pray for us today. Let's take a minute. Father God, we come before you today as we honor and thank you for our moms. Uh, we are grateful for that role. We're grateful for the way that they reflect and demonstrate your heart with their care, their concern, their just ongoing, undying love for us. So God, we want to say thanks for our moms. And for those of us where Mother's Day, for a host of reasons, has more trouble and more sense of loss than anything, God, I want to pray that you'd fill that gap. I want to pray that you would meet and you'd minister in a powerful way to those that are especially feeling more of a disconnect than a connection this weekend. So we love you. Thank you so much for the gift of our moms. And we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Well, you're joining us today, and we are continuing in this uh, series called A People Prepared. Let me give you a, just a quick uh, reminder if you're joining us for the first time. This book is written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, the disciple Peter. He wrote to a group that he calls multiple times scattered exiles. So these are people that we know were written to in modern day Turkey back then 2,000 years ago. And he's writing to them and here have been the big themes so far to catch you up. In chapters one, it was all about their hope being focused on Jesus and in him. And it also talked about how they were in the middle of that hope called to live in holiness, to emulate the God who had called them into relationship because he is holy. 
Chapter two began to shift to that of harmony. So the vertical focus in chapter one, more of the uh, horizontal focus, harmony and the way they treat one another was the beginning of chapter two. And now as we get to the end of chapter two, we're gonna see again, alliteration is awesome. We're gonna see a huge uh, push and a directive towards humility. We saw that last week as we began to dial in and, and see this idea of living in a humility, living in a submission to the governing authorities that God has put over our lives. And today what we're going to see is we're going to see another um, explanation of, of furthering down that road, but what's going to be just so uh, huge and, and so helpful to us is the example of Jesus. And how did Jesus live under the authorities under which he suffered? So we're gonna dive in today. Here's our now what statement uh, for this week, what we're wanting to apply from this text all throughout our week. You are called to follow Jesus's example when you suffer for doing good. You are called, keyword, to follow Jesus's example when you suffer for doing good. Number one in your notes today, submission to authorities in your life isn't dependent on their fairness. Your submission to authorities in your life is not dependent on their fairness. Here's what I mean. First Peter chapter two, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate. By the way, you reading with me? We're doing a great job every week. Read it out loud with me. Uh, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up, keyword, uh, under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable to God. So this is where we're going today out of the gates is uh, we're seeing Paul writing to a group of new believers and he's even writing to a subsection of that group of Jesus followers, specifically those who are enslaved to masters. Now, I want to say from the very beginning today, we're going to get personal. And I want you to know, we're going to get personal. The only, the reason I know that are now that we're in week eight of sheltering at home and all the different challenges that we're facing, getting up underneath, bearing up underneath the authorities that are over us is getting more and more challenging. And so I know that we're going to push some buttons today, but I want you to know this in advance. You know that we started this series, uh, we're in week, I think seven or eight now. So back in the middle of March. You know that as we are looking at this, we're simply seeing the unfolding of God's word. So I want you to know, I'm not a pastor who's here trying to prod, but I am a pastor who wants to communicate and I wanna teach the word of God. And I wanna teach it as it is so absolutely applicable to the things that we're walking through. So I want you to just in your mind today, as you're listening, I want you to be processing, God, what do you wanna speak to me? Not so much what Todd has to say, God, what do you want to say to me? Because I want to respond in obedience to you. So as we dial in today, we're going to see that for some of us, the biggest issues that we're struggling with right now are the same issues that those who first received this letter 2,000 years ago from Peter were struggling with as well. It should give us a little bit of courage on that. Now, I want to also bring some reality in today. There is no one listening to this service who is right now in the same condition of these, this intended audience of Peter's readers. 
Nobody's enslaved to a master today. So we need to be real with that. So as we talk, we're going to contextualize. But I think that's actually helpful to know. Nobody has it as bad as this group of people that he's specifically writing to. And that's going to be helpful for us as we walk it out. We do, though, we do struggle with the authorities that are over us at times in the workplace or even those of government authorities that can be harsh and unkind and even cruel at times. And it, especially it's challenging when it comes to something that deeply affects us and deeply affects our family like our livelihood. In this particular season, some of you have been laid off. Some of you have been furloughed. And that might be in a situation that seems especially unfair and unjust. And by the way, as we're talking today, we, uh, names and faces from Trinity Church are coming to mind. I know this is very real to you. Some of you own small businesses, and in that you have had to restrict or altogether not be able to operate your business because of government constraints. This is absolutely challenging, and in the same way, names and faces are coming to mind of those of you that are struggling in, in a very real way. Some of you have had to flex in ways and your employer has rewritten your job description to suit some of the needs that are going on now. And that seems at times unjust. I didn't sign up for this. You can relate to what we're talking about today. And Peter has something to say to you. He begins by laying down this axiom that is a real challenge to the way that we think in America as we are independent and very fair-minded. This is something, though, that's replete all throughout Scripture. And it simply goes this way. Submit to those who are in leadership over you. Submit to those who are in leadership over you. This is what I have in your notes today. It says this, from the leader of your country to the leader in your workplace to the leaders in your church. God's in control of who's in control. This is huge. This is a big theological point. This is a big faith point. From those who lead your country to those who lead your workplace to those who lead your church, and I could go on, God's in control of who's in control. It's important that we start with that today because that's what Peter is going to bring up. The reality is submission is a dirty word in our culture. We just cringe at the idea that we would be called, we would be directed to submit to anyone, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the workplace, at times even in marriage. So in that idea, as we talk about this today, I know, and I've had so many good conversations with people about through our international lens, what's going on around the world, Americans especially struggle when limitations are brought, when freedoms are capped, because man, we are all about demanding freedoms. Many of us would say that's what our country was based on and that's what it is to be an American. Here's a challenge I want to say to you from the very beginning today. Whenever you're at some sort of event where there is a color guard, you will always see the American flag highest and every other flag bowing to it. I want you to consider something today. In your life, in your heart, in your soul, which flag flies higher? The American flag or the flag of your true citizenship as one who's been adopted into the family of God and is an heir of heaven. That's what you're gonna be struggling with today. That's what you're struggling with right now in your life. Which flag flies higher in your life? That of your American citizenship, which should be flying lower, and that of your citizenship of heaven. 
That's the challenge, and that's what Peter is going to, again, uh, connect dots for us today within that. Here's a simple reality. Submitting to leadership would not be hard if the one or the ones over you led you like you would like to be led. Just think about that for a second. That would, submission would be easy. Think of that through a parenting lens. Parenting for me is incredibly easy as long as I say yes. But the minute that I have to say no, submission is challenging for my kids, just like it is for me and those authorities that I report to as well. So Peter reminds those that would have, were even understood as property in this particular part of his letter that they are to respond and submit to those that are in authority, their owners over them, even the ones that are harsh. And look in your notes or in your Bible, look why. Out of reverent fear for God. Out of reverent fear for God. Because God's in control of who's in control, you can entrust every aspect of your life to his leadership, to his sovereignty, to his awareness, and to what he's doing, even when you can't see it. That's what that is. That's buying into that reality that God is absolutely sovereign over everything that comes into your life. Will those in leadership ever treat you unfairly at times? Absolutely. Absolutely they will. And you should have an expectation that is, that is to happen. But as we'll see in just a moment, that God will deal with them. That, that that is what it is, is entrusting to God his judging of those who would lead you poorly and be unjust. But what Peter cautions his readers is not to retaliate, nor to simply think that there's some kind of loophole uh, that they can do as they please because there's a harsh treatment over them or that they shouldn't be penalized for doing wrong. Peter says to the contrary, those things are, what's are what is expected. See what Peter says, what is commendable to God? It's when you suffer for doing good and endure it. When you suffer for doing good and endure it, there's a directive to not only suffer for doing things that are right and, and uh, just before God, but also about your attitude, about the how that you would come up under it, that you would bear the load and continue to move forward in obedience to God, recognizing that he has not left his throne because you're going through something that's unjust. It's a powerful thing, very easy for me to say, much harder for you to live, harder for me to live. But it's the truth of God's word. It reminds us of Paul's words to slaves that he writes to the Colossian church. Look at this from Colossians 3.23, a great passage many of you have memorized. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since that you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Watch this. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's huge. So perspective is absolutely crucial. Let's keep going. Number two in your notes today. Jesus' suffering not only pardoned you, I love this, but provided a pattern for you. Jesus' suffering for good not only pardoned you, but provided a pattern for you. Look in the next part of our passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Let's read it aloud. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example, a pattern that you should follow in his steps. And look what it says. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Watch, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. Man, this is a powerful, powerful passage. And it's what we alluded to at the beginning of our time together today is that we are gonna see the example of Jesus is something that we are to pattern our lives after when we are in a position where we're suffering for doing good. Let me start by saying this. I've said it before that God, because of where he sits on the bus, he absolutely has the right to direct and command what we ought to do with our lives. There should be no question from creator to creature. But the thing that I love so much and the thing that we see so often in scripture is that God actually does though give us the why. He's gonna give us a directive and he will say, and this is why that's important or this is why you should do that. And I see that as such a gift because he does not owe us that, but he chooses to continue to do so. And you'll see in our passage today, that's exactly what he does. He says this, Peter begins to this, to this idea of suffering for doing good and enduring under it, they have been called. That Greek word is the word kaleo. Kaleo is used 148 times in the New Testament. And what that word means, it means someone who has been invited or summoned into something. To be called is someone who's been invited or summoned into something. So for some of you today, you think about this idea of suffering for doing good and you're thinking that's not something I signed up for. I didn't know that was part of the deal. I I don't know if that's something I want to be involved in. Not something you understood you were invited into. But from the very beginning, even before Jesus went to the cross, he said that's exactly how that's going to go. And Peter, what he's going to do is he's going to use this kind of idea. He's going to help you see this truth. Look in your notes. He's going to say that as a follower of Jesus, you're expected to follow Jesus. I know that sounds so remedial and so basic, but catch the power though of what's being said. If I were to say, but I'm a Jesus follower, then part of being a follower of Jesus is to follow Jesus, follow his example, follow the words that he gives us. So this is what we see in the text. We see that Jesus suffered for doing good when he offered his life in exchange for your redemption. These passages that we see quoted from the Old Testament talk about that. And so as a result, because he suffered for doing good, you can count on the fact, you can expect that as one of his followers, that's going to happen as well. And by the way, Jesus told us as much. Look at what uh, was recorded in the book of John. Peter, the author of the book we're looking at, would have heard these words firsthand. This is what it says in John 15. Read it with me. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you, I've called you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So again, Peter, from the very beginning, he heard that was to be expected, and now he's cascading that truth out to his readers to say, hey, Jesus told us, expect that we're going to suffer for doing good, and then he's going to do this. He's going to say, hey, I want you to watch Jesus's example. He didn't just say it, he showed us. Let's be sure, too, that we're reminding ourselves as we're looking at this passage today, no one is suffering right now in Southern California because you're a Christian. You're suffering because you're a human being. You're suffering because you're a part of this state like all people are. 
Peter's readers were being persecuted specifically because they had put their faith in Jesus. They were living in a way to be obedient to him. And as a result, like we saw last week, they were being persecuted. I just want to keep that in front of us that it's a little bit apples to oranges. But at the end of the day, the sense and the feeling of suffering is something we can connect with and something they understood. I want you to note the word that Peter used for example. Jesus set us an example. It's only used one time in the entire Bible, and it literally means a writing copy, an example or a template. So think of it this way. If you give me a blank sheet of paper and say, Todd, create a masterpiece, you're just going to be repulsed at what I come up with. But I'll tell you this, if you give me a sheet of paper that already has something drawn on it, and all I have to do is trace or color in the lines, I'm da Vinci, okay? I can do an amazing job with that. And that's what this passage is saying. Jesus created for us a pattern, a template that we should walk in it. And look in your notes, Jesus left you a pattern, a template that you would not only expect to suffer for doing good like he did, so he raises that expectation, but you would know how to suffer for doing good like he did. That's powerful. Not just raising the expectation, but even helping you with the how. That's powerful to me. In the passage we were reading, that you should follow in his steps that you should follow in his steps. These are powerful words when we consider the example of Jesus. And think of some of the ways that you have embraced his example, his compassion for hurting people, his love for his enemies, his ability to accept people right where they were. Those are qualities you emulate, you appreciate and want to be like. But this quality, this quality of suffering for doing good. Man, you're like, I didn't think that was part of the deal. I didn't know I was signing up for that part. I don't know if that's what follow Jesus's example as well. But the reality is that is a part, like Peter says, of our calling. It's one of the reasons that I have such a great admiration for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because he not only said powerful things, but lived in a powerful way that when it was right to stand up in civil disobedience to authorities. He recognized he was breaking the law. There were going to be consequences. He ended up in jail many times, but he understood there was a greater good. Look at one of these quotes, one of my favorites from him. I still believe, this is what he writes, that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy, The end of life is not to achieve pleasure or uh, to avoid pain, which by the way, those three things pretty much drive most of our culture to be happy, to have pleasure and to avoid pain. That's what most would say. That's the point. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that wasn't the point at all. He said, the end of life is to do the will of God. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. He not only said those words, but modeled it well. It's a great example for us. I want you to see that something that has probably caught your attention over the last few weeks is we're not just, Peter's not just quoting from the Old Testament, the former covenant. He's actually consistently quoting Isaiah. Isaiah six times in this short letter, only five chapters long, is quoted more than any other book, Psalms and Proverbs occasionally. But Isaiah, it's almost as if Peter's saying, if you want to understand what I'm saying, read the prophet Isaiah, because he quotes him so often. And this quote that we just read was from Isaiah 53, these passages talking about, and that was foretelling. That wasn't even saying this is what Jesus did. It was saying what Messiah would do at that point. 
foretelling, and, and we often call this passage that of the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, because that's how Jesus gave himself up for us. What I really want you to see beyond the description of how Jesus didn't re retaliate is I want you to see the why. I think that's so important. Look back to the verse that we read. It says, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead, instead of retaliating, instead of barking back with words, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The reason presented here of why Jesus could endure such unjust suffering is that he was convinced that God's in control of who's in control. And he absolutely believed that God was going to hold accountable those who were the reason for his suffering. He entrusted himself to him who was going to judge justly. I want you to think about how this works in your home. Think about how this works with your kids when one child uh, of yours injures another willfully. I think back to our children when we just had Jackson and Aaliyah. So very, very early on, no Kendi or Ellie at that point. It was just the two of them. And it was early on, maybe Aaliyah before she turned two, just became a biter. Just, you know, I'm going to go after you, Jackson. And she'd just go after him. And, and Jackson would come to us. She would bite him. He would cry. He would come to us us, the bite marks on his arm, uh, the bite, I don't even know where else he got bit, but ultimate mo multiple times, I saw the, the impression of where her teeth had been. And, and, and the interesting thing, and I don't want to paint this picture that Jackson did this every time, always the right way, but often he, instead of retaliating and smacking her back, he would come to us, show us what she had done, and then let us, and he would entrust himself to those who judge justly. That would be mom and dad. And we would deal with Aaliyah. Now, again, I don't want to paint one as more angelic than the other. It would be the same Jackson a few years later that uh, would get a brand new hover uh, craft. And as he did, when mom and dad were out un unpacking the car, got it caught in Aaliyah's hair. And then so he wouldn't get caught the easiest way, just take scissors and cut that hair off. Aaliyah had to wear her hair the same way for an entire year before that chunk would grow out and be normal again. So I I want to be fair, um, they both uh, went at each other. But my point is this, is that that's what children should do. It doesn't mean they ever do or often do, but they should say it's not a sibling's job to exact punishment against another sibling. It's a parent's job to judge justly and to administer justice when there's been wrongdoing. And that's hard for us to understand as children. Interestingly enough, it's hard for us to understand as adults as well. We still struggle with it. Here's what I want you to see today, what it's not. It's not about trying to debate if someone in authority is worthy of your respect. We saw that last week. Peter made it really clear that we ought not to ever disrespect anyone and that we ought to show respect to the people who are in positions of authority over us. It's not about justifying your retaliatory actions when you're treated unfairly. We see from the example of Jesus in this passage, there's not a place for that. But let me tell you what it is about. It is about your confidence in the fact if God is in control of who's in control. Are you confident in that reality? It is about if you're convinced that he is going to deal with those who deal with you unjustly. Can you entrust yourself to him? It is about your trust in his goodness in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your loss. That's what this is about. That's what the circumstances you're facing today 
are about. In a simple way, the reality is Jesus did those things. He entrusted himself to the Father, and he continued to, rather than have retaliatory actions against those who were persecuting him, he believed that God was in control, and God would deal later. Simple question for you today. Jesus did that, and his followers have been doing it for the last 2,000 years. This is where the rubber meets the road. Will you entrust yourself to him who judges justly? In your notes today, will you entrust yourself to him who judges justly? You are the only person who can answer that question for you. But this is the, the tension. This is where we're bringing everything to a head today. Peter finishes this part of the passage by reminding his readers that Jesus' suffering for doing good was not just benign or, or something neutral. His suffering led to their redemption. His suffering led to their rescue so they could be right with God. So he absolutely did good, but suffered on the way for doing it. Finally today, number three in your notes, just this last verse we're going to look at. The strength of the sheep is in the watch of the shepherd. The strength of the sheep is in the watch of the shepherd. That sounds like a little bit of an odd phrase. Let me show you what I mean. This is the last part we're looking at today. First Peter 2, 25, read it with me. Peter writes, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You were like sheep who'd gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Um, it would be about uh, a week ago Wednesday in my little midweek video that I've been doing every week that I wore this shirt. And uh, I had my own version of it, but I just thought I'd show you this picture. I love this shirt. When I first saw it, I decided I really want that. I think it really represents our community well and how we do need to band together. But it's the tagline on the shirt. You won't be able to read from there, but I read it. I'll read it for you. It says, the strength of the wolf is in the pack. The strength of the wolf is in the pack. And I think those who put this shirt together, I understand what they were thinking. I understand that in this time, the, the, the real need is for people to bond together, is for them to work together, is for them to pack. But I want you to see this. And the shirt was, is a great shirt. I'm going to keep wearing it. I love it. But I want to spin that a little bit today for you. I want to spin it away because I want you to see this, that as, as important as it is, that we stay connected to one another, what's most important is who's leading us. What's most important is who is caring for us. And like the verse said, what's most important is who is overseeing or who's watching over us. And the great news is for those of us who follow Jesus, it's our shepherd. It's Jesus himself. The strength of the sheep is in the watch of the shepherd. And this isn't to say that we don't need each other. It's not to say that it's not important, that the only thing that matters is just your vertical relationship with God and people don't exist. None of that at all. You'll, you'll remember as we have moved through this book that, that all these aspects have been covered so far. This vertical relationship of putting their hope in Christ and being holy as the God who has called them is holy in chapter one. Then in chapter two, there was a real focus on the harmony that they needed to live in related to being brothers and sisters in this adopted family of God. And then even this chapter, again, it's got a very horizontal, as we finish chapter two, aspect to it. And that's having a humility under the human leaders and authorities that God has placed in your life. So all of those things, that's very much important. So I want you to see this. I don't want you to miss this. We need each other deeply and we'll continue to rightly lean on each other as we're under the care of our good shepherd. 
So I want you to hear that. There is a call to be the flock. There is a call to live in that kind of community and live in that interdependence. But the thing I really want you to see is that it's not because we're so strong or powerful together as a group. We're not a pack of wolves. We're a flock of sheep. And a flock of sheep need a great shepherd. And Peter helps us understand that we have one. We absolutely have one in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus did good. Because he provided a way by sacrificing himself on a Roman cross and defeating your sin. Because he was raised on the third day and then defeated death. He did good in those ways. And because he did good on your behalf and suffered along the way for doing it, you can be included into his fold and you can be included into his flock. And that is such good news such great reminder of the fact that not only is God in control of who's in control, but the strength in your life, the strength of the sheep is in the watch of the shepherd. And the fact that you are known by him, you are loved by him, and he deeply, deeply cares for you. So this week, would it be out of that reality that we live this life, you are called to follow Jesus's example when you suffer for doing good. Let's pray. Father, we're looking at a passage that is intensely relevant to our lives. We're looking at a passage in 1 Peter 2 that we are beginning to have some sort of experiential connection. Again, we're not being persecuted for our faith. None of us are in slavery as we're hearing these words today. But man, there's some pieces that we can understand, some pieces that we can relate to like we never have before. And I want to say thank you for the incredible application, the incredible reality of your word 2,000 years later that speaks to us, that directs us, that encourages us, that comforts us. I want to say to you, if you're watching with us today, and you, just being honest, would have to say, I'm not a part of Jesus' flock yet. I might know some things about God. I might know some things about the Bible I've heard of Jesus, a little bit of what he's done. But if you've never responded to his invitation, his calling to be summoned, then I have great news for you today because you can actually do that before we leave this service. I have great news for you today because you can know what it is to live in the security and under the watch care of the shepherd of your soul. It begins by A, admitting that you are a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that you have lived life on your own and as a result, you know there's a problem in this relationship with God. I didn't need to tell you that. You knew it before you even tuned in today. Secondly, B is believe. Believe that this Jesus, the shepherd of your soul, believe that he lived a sinless life, believe that he died a sacrificial death, believe that he was raised supernaturally on the third day and he did all of that for you. He suffered for doing good for your sake. See his choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I'm going to put my confidence, my weight, my trust in what you've accomplished. Not trying to be more moral, not trying to be religious, not trying to be good. I'm going to say, Jesus, I entrust myself, my eternity to you. I respond, I receive your love. I want to tell you, if you've never made that decision, I have no idea why you would hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. Respond to Jesus now. Father, this week, would you go before us 
inhabit our mind, our thoughts, our attitudes. Help us to live lives that demonstrate that we will follow Jesus' example of suffering for doing good. And God, help us in the middle of that to entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. We love you and we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.